Welcome to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Legendary Gear, the game call company that's legend by design. You can check them out at legendarygearusa.com. That's US, legendarygearusa.com. Folks, if you like this uh, podcast, please subscribe. We're on nine different servers. My wife, Diane, handles all that. I'm just a, the meat eater, they call me, the meat getter. So, but folks, this week's guest uh, needs no introduction. He's been an icon in the hunting industry for quite some time. He's, uh, you've probably seen him as the face behind the banded gear from the beginning of their existence. If you love watching the Outdoor Channel, as I do, I'm sure you've seen as the main uh, force behind the Fowl Life TV with Chad Belding for 13 plus years, I think it is. He's been a personal friend of mine for 15 plus years. Folks, I want to introduce to you Chad Belding. How you doing, Chad? George, my man, what's going on, brother? Hope everything's well. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, another day in paradise is what we say around here every day. Another day in paradise. Chad, uh, yes, sir. you know what, if, if when you think it's, and we've been friends for a long time, and I have highly the most respect for you. You've, you're, you're a go-getter. You're very talented. I have one regret with you, and that was back years ago when we was in, uh, I think it was Reno, one of the shows with Cabela's. You asked me to do a two-man contest, a two-man uh, routine with you uh, for the contest they had that year, and I didn't do it. I was in the booth, and I regret that to this day. I think we could have kicked some ass. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, obviously, I was asking you because I needed to find a hammer because my talent wasn't there. Every time <laughs> I'd go to a competition, I'd always try to seek out a better caller to try to get into synchronization with him or on stage and try to come up with the best routine possible but yeah i wish we'd have done it for sure you know if when, when you talk and mention the name chad belding when i sit here and, and think about it one word comes to my mind is diversified chad you you've got so many irons in the pot and how you stay so focused and and i mean that is one thing i respect your focus and your discipline but uh, for our listeners out there could you just kind of start us off on how you started how you got into this and and everything that you got your hands into today yeah, well, I hope, hopefully I don't bore you with a too long, but if you, if you want to cut me off, you can. But I, I think it it just started back in, in the late – I didn't start duck hunting, George, until I was in my late 20s. I was 26 or 27, and I grew up in the mountains with my dad. My brothers chasing mule deer and antelope and elk and chucker partridge and calling predators and stuff, and I got invited on a duck hunt. I had been in a Canada goose blind before, but I'd never really seen it done the way that you're used to it and the way that you – kind of revolutionized with decoy and then calling and all that but i went on my first duck hunt on this uh on this flooded sagebrush flat that came off of a, it was runoff water of a gold mine and i saw these gadwall get turned around with a comeback call by a guy named jim ray and i just got hooked like in an instant so once that happened i you know i started getting the shotguns and the ammo and the calls and and once i started to really break down the calls you know back in those days when I was in my late 20s, it was the art of commanding ducks with Bill Robertson. It was it was the short read way with with Tim and and and, and rest in peace Tim Grounds. But um, I, I became very proficient. And I think that proficiency is what really prompted my career. Is that I would call Phil or I would call Red Dog or I would call Tim Grounds and you and Fred Zink or whoever it was. 
and I would just try to learn sounds. I would have them listen to my routines, and that is what really got me going was competition calling. I started at least having the confidence to travel to the U.S. Open or the Winchester or the World or the World Duck and Stuttgart or the Goose and Easton or whatever regional. And at that time, there was Sportsman's Warehouse contests and Cabela's, and everywhere you went, there was really legitimate contests. And there was a lot of cool companies backing them, which is one of the companies I cut my teeth with, Avery Outdoors and Tom Matthews and, and Greenhead Gear and, and Avery Sporting Dog and all of that. I just developed, I started really seeing the network there was a business here there was people making their living in the outdoor industry and even though i wasn't placing in the top five a lot of the time sometimes i did sometimes i got whipped and eliminated in the first round but i always took it upon myself to try to open some doors at those contests and talk to people and learn how somebody like kelly powers was doing it when he was starting final flight or how you were doing it when you were first with your call company and what freddie was doing and um I think that that mindset led me to, you know, getting the attention of somebody like Freddie, and he invited me on to his, his, uh, his DVD series. So once that happened and I met Freddie, I met him at a Max Grayling's event, I, I, I got introduced to Tom and Bill Cooksey and Alan Hughes, and I got to become what they called an Avery Pro Staffer, and that, and that really started everything in 2001 um, of traveling the country, traveling Canada, getting a behind-the-scenes look of how Fred Zink put together his 24-7 DVD series, learning how to hide, learning how to hide cameras, learning how to get birds closer. Um, you know, Freddie, Freddie was very aggressive at that time in, in what he was doing with his call, with his calls or with his decoys and his, his carvings and his design. So I think that, you know, once that started, George, and, and, and where, where it takes off is that in 2006, we were up in Saskatchewan, and Freddie had inter, uh, introduced me to Shannon Nardi and Justin Tackett. They had a TV show called Ducks Unlimited Water Dog, and they got to know me up there in Saskatchewan. We were hunting with Buck Paradise with, with Grant Kuypers, and um, they said they'd never filmed out west. And they said, oh, you're from Nevada, and we've never filmed out there. And I said, man, well, we hunt Idaho and Oregon and California. And they said, oh, could we put that together someday? And I said, yeah. So in 2007 they came out west and we filmed in nevada we filmed in idaho we filmed in southern oregon and we made some pretty cool episodes of ducks unlimited water dog tacket had his dog yellow out there and after about 30 days after that run ended i got a call from a guy named mike divine who was in the production uh he had a production company in tulsa oklahoma called divine productions and he said hey man i really liked what you did on camera i was wondering if you'd ever be interested in doing a show about you and I said, man, that would be unreal. And at the time, I was really a toilet pumper. I had a portable toilet company. We were doing erosion control and stormwater pollution. And it allowed me to, to take off in the fall and winter because the construction kind of slowed down. And, and you know, with, with that invite, I was like, heck, yeah, I jumped at it. And I said, man, I know some people in this industry because of my networking through these calling competitions. And going to Buck Paradise, I met Earl Osterling, who ran all marketing for Toyota National. I met Jeremy Sage, who ran all marketing for Sportsman's Warehouse and worked in the corporate office in Midvale, Utah. And I just, I had this little network, so I started calling him and said, hey, would y'all ever be interested? I went to Tom Matthews, I went to Freddie. So I, I was starting to put together this, this list of sponsors for what became, what was going to be called Dr. Duck, and I was going to write a prescription of success every day in my, in my, uh, you know, in the episode, like what made a successful day? And I'm like, man, people are good. I don't have that credibility with people to be called a doctor duck. So 
I, I started thinking about other names. And at that time, MTV or some network had a show with Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie, Lionel Richie's daughter on it called The Simple Life. And it was these two rich girls that were out living on farms and milking cows and getting eggs out yeah, of the chicken coop. I'm like, I want to try to. Do so, yeah, I was going to try to name a show The Foul Life. And I said, uh, I said, let's name it The Foul Life. And Mike's like, let's do it. One thing leads to the next, George, and Mike Devine calls me and says, brother, I, uh, my mom is ill. We're putting her in the Mayo Clinic, and my time and resources and finances are going to be tied up. I cannot do this project. And at that time, I'm sitting in my toilet office, and I'm like, oh, man, this sucks. I, and I said, do you mind if I try it on my own? I got this network. I've been talking to these sponsors. Me and you had already been to SHOT Show. And he says, brother, good luck. I want you to do it. Keep me posted, and, and I hope it flies. And I literally got off that phone, George, and in my office I had this mount. It was nine greenheads with real Arkansas timber that I had all te you know, all treated. Um, I was able to get it off of some private woods in Arkansas. It's on a pedestal mount, and it's got a plaque on it. It says, strike up the band. And all nine of these greenheads were banded, and they're coming through these trees, through the canopy, and there's a, a redneck shot-up sign in there that says, no trespassing with... 12 gauge BB holes in it and I looked at it and I said I'm going to try to name a company Bandit and I literally got on my computer and I emailed my intellectual property attorney Brian Hardy and I said Brian I know this is a long shot but I want to get this in reference to TV TV production apparel um, I want to lock this name up if at all possible and we got it and I was like holy smokes we got like a really synonymous name with waterfowling Bandit to where we could take it you know and, and use it to where it's a band of brothers or bandit is, is like the jewelry on a duck or a deuce leg. And the first deal that we did was name it banded productions. And that was in two, that ended up being in 2008 after I started the process in seven with, with, uh, um, Mike Devine. And we went, we went to, um, Saskatchewan right where I met Brett, Fred Zeke, you know, that started filming with him the first time at, at Buck Paradise. And Grant Kuypers invited us in, and we filmed episode one, two, and three of season one of The Foul Life in Saskatchewan, Canada. And we went to air in the fall of 2009 on the Sportsman's Channel at that time. And um, I, I don't know if it was a week or maybe a day after the first airing. You know, TV takes a while to build, just like these podcasts, and you got to have momentum, and you got to have consistency in messaging, and you got to really keep going you got to keep pushing it and it's just like building any business um and with the entrepreneurial spirit and um but one thing that was consistent is that people were interested in the product we were using what boat are you in what utv are you in what gun are you shooting what ammo what choking what sunglasses and i was like dude the money's in manufacturing the money's in product so i went out and i said i'm gonna start a company called banded gear so off of banded productions i started banded gear and it was a t-shirt, hoodie, and beanie, and hat company. My first design, my favorite band, Guns N' Roses, had a song on Use Your Illusion 1 album called um, Double Talk and Jive. And Axl Rose wrote it. And I said, geese double cluck. They get really mean and stingy and greedy with each other. I'm going to name a shirt, Double Cluck and Jive, and have two big Canada honkers talking smack to each other on it. <laughs> Put it on the show, wore it, wore it, and people started ordering it. So we yep. come out with part two, Red Dawn. After the movie Red Dawn, we had all these ballards flying over this really bright red sunset, and people started buying it, long sleeve, short sleeve, beanies, whatever it was. And I got a call from John O'Rourke, who is the national, I'm sure you remember that name, at Cabela's. Yeah. Um, John, called me, John called me and said, hey, man, we're getting all these calls about these shirts. We want to put them in the stores. 
So, bam, we go into Cabela's. And this is way before Johnny Morris and the Bass Pro days and the transition there. So, now we're in Cabela's. And I'm like, my confidence is growing. The TV show's still there. We're getting all these episodes out. We got this apparel line called Banded Gear. I, and then this this became the hardest part of, of what I'd ever done. But um, I went to Freddie and said, hey, man, I'm, I'm rolling in the call business. And I'm going to develop a call company called Banded Calls. And I started with two goose calls, two short read goose calls, and, 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 a, and a duck call. And that went viral with John O'Rourke. He saw him on the show. First order was a huge PO from Cabela's, and that prompted us into the call business. Now we have banded productions, banded gear, and banded calls, and that's what when it happened, George Lynch, is that we went to Vegas for a shot show in 2011. Christian Curtis comes up to me and says, "Hey, we just talked to John O'Rourke. He says you're onto something with this name Bandit." Um, at that time, Christian was working with Avery, and they were they, they, he was coming to an end of his career there. Um, him and Eric Larsgaard and me get together. We start developing a plan for seeking capital because now it's bigger than calls. It's bigger than a T-shirt, according to John O'Rourke, and that's what prompted Christian with um, designing the, the breathable waders, the red zone waders, and Eric had all these ideas and apparel and bibs and jackets, and um, they had already had all these ties in manufacturing and design and implementation overseas in China and, and all over the different countries over in Asia. And bam, we're off and running. We start Bandit, and now Bandit has the ability to go out and seek some capital to try to grow its presence. And that's what we did, George. We went out, and it was a fight. It was a struggle. Our waders would leak, and people would say, these leaky waders. And, and, and then uh, uh, it would be hard to get into a certain retailer because they already had Columbia, or they already had Drake, or they, you know, they already had all of their favorites. And with, with our connections and those networks, we kept nipping away and chipping away and it just started to get implemented into stores and catalogs and all over Cabela's events and Waterfell Classics. And, and now Banded was becoming a legitimate logo with brand awareness out there in the marketplace. And it started to gain momentum. And it just kept growing and growing and growing until, you know, we got up to around 4,000 SKUs. We had licensing deals with Mossy Oak and Realtree and Matt Gear and all of these different camo companies. We were designing and building everything. We weren't we, we weren't sourcing anything. Christian and Eric had all of the connections. They were responsible for the the, the design and and all of the, the vision of this product line. They were great at it. Um, and then that just kept growing, and we just kept seeking more capital until we found a guy named Brandon Adams in Arkansas, who's a dear friend of mine and the main investor in Bandit, and he saved Bandit because we were struggling at times to where. It's so seasonal, George, that you give your deposits to manufacturing, then you wait for the gear to get here to get delivered in June, and then you don't get paid for net 60 or net 90 by <clears throat> some of these big box stores or some of these mom-and-pop independent retailers. So it's we're like, we're going to have money yeah. in the bank. We, we need to have operating cash. And um, and, and that, that took us into this place of getting this team behind us with strong financial gains, and we were able to keep going to the point to where now in 2015, Avery comes up for sale. We go in with this plan, this really out of the box thinking plan of, of saving Avery and Greenhead Gear. And the, the companies I cut my teeth with back in 2000, here we are 15 years later, and one thing leads to the next, and we're buying Avery, Greenhead Gear, and Avery Sporting Dog. And we add that to the Bandit Brands umbrella. So now we take Avery, we leave it in Memphis. Alan Hughes becomes a big part of our plan. He's in Memphis still running the, the Avery office and the distribution center. Banded Brands is over in northwest Arkansas and Rogers area, Fayetteville. 
And now we have offices in Reno with the TV production. We have Bandit in Arkansas and then Bandit Brands and Avery and Avery Sporting Dog in Memphis. And that just that kind of is where the diversification starts, George. And I, and I know that I'm talking a lot, but when I when I started getting into it and I started to see all of these different levels of of business, the one thing that drove me was passion. And I think a lot of people saw that passion in me. So I would start to get interest from people of like, hey man, we got this outfitting business. Would you want to invest in it and try to book hunts for us and take us to the next level? Or it would be, um, you know, a, a, a chance to a chance to work in in the companies that we're in now. American Almond Beef was not my idea. American Almond Beef was brought with Rocky Merlo and Brandon Byrne, and they came to me because they saw how hard I worked for Merlot Waterfowl in California, the California Waterfowl Association, how hard my brother Clay worked, our team, our TV show, our marketing, our social media, and our podcast. And they said, hey, we want to take this company national. So then I start thinking, man, I, I got all this, all this, you know, networking with Traeger. I've been learning the barbecue game, the Pitmaster game. I've been to the Kansas City Royal and the Houston and Memphis in May. So then I'm like, I know how to develop dry rubs. And I just jumped into it. I started saying, when my dad would cook a deer steak, he would make it taste like this. And when I took a duck and I got with my friend Dave Stanley, who you know John David and his dad Dave really well, Dave said, Chad, we want this on the duck, we want this on the goose, we want to do this. So I started going back and forth with a mixology company, developing these, these dry rubs. And ten and a half months later, we come out with this dry rub line called The Provider. I team up with my good friend Chad Mendez from the UFC and MMA badass, and boom, we're off and running. Well, now I'm going, I got all these people from across the world in Argentina and Uruguay and Paraguay and Arkansas and Canada. I've learned all these recipes and all these lodges and all these duck camps and turkey camps. And I said, I'm going to come out with a cookbook called The Provider. So me and Chad Mendez start seeking publishing rights on this cookbook. We, 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 we get all the intellectual property reserved. We own the registration trademark on the provider, which is a really cool name in our opinion. And we start getting interest through agents and publishing companies of the name. And we signed a national publishing deal with Ben Bella Books in Dallas, Texas. And they produced the provider cookbook edition one last November. We're not even a year old. And we're over, we're over 12,000 copies sold, which is a huge endeavor for us to sell that many hard cover cookbooks. And, um, ben Bella takes it to the next level. We do all the photography. We write all the copy in it. We come up, like, go and interview all these chefs, like Bill Bogey in Arkansas at the Prairie Wings Duck Camp, and he gives me a smothered deer, uh, a smothered deer steak recipe, and we put it in the book with photography of it, us cooking it, our pictures with Billy cooking it in the kitchen in Arkansas, and the book becomes like a, a table, a coffee table book of instructions, filled the table, uh, how to call ducks, fitness tips how to process, how to butcher, how to prepare your wild game, your fish. And then the provider was off and running. So now we have a national cookbook with a national publishing deal. We have all these dry rubs, and the dry rubs just start going berserk, George. We we have all these people out in the country cooking with them. So now we're in all hundred and whatever sportsman's warehouse and big R's and, and all these coastal stores. And we're going into more and more stores um, across the country. And the, that, that, you know, didn't happen overnight, but we had a lot of 
a lot of experience in shaking hands and retail and how to work with buyers and distributors and how to move the needle and how to get inventory and how to merchandise and how to build in caps and displays and all of that was because of paying attention to guys like you and Freddie and, and and Tim and Tom Matthews and everybody that that I that I that I learned from through the years I was like man I remember all those Avery Pro Staff photo shoots now I know why Tom was having those those photography lessons you know we would bring in Tyson Keller and he would teach us like here's the angle here's the sun here's your what you want to do with your shutter speed and because videography and and photography and content and you know as good as I do George it's the king today we got to have Content. And and so I think that we that cutting my teeth through all those companies and working with a ton of passion, you know, Bandit took off and the Foul Life. We're we're, we're getting ready to hit the road to film season 15 of Benelli's The Foul Life right now. And we're currently airing season 14 on the Outdoor Channel, like you mentioned. And then the provider is thriving. American Almond Beef is growing. Um, our, and and we have other companies in this space, and we have investments in other parts of the the business. Um, in restaurants and different manufacturing companies. And I think it's because people saw that when we would put our mind to it and we would go out and implement it into what we do with our platform, it worked. It, it, it wasn't like a King Midas effect. I don't want it to sound like I'm saying, hey, everything that we touched turns to gold. We just worked hard. We wanted to be visionaries yeah. and we wanted to be unorthodox in our approach of saying, hey, we're going to go at this. We're going to do it hard, but we're going to do it different. We're not going to say that we're the best duck hunter in the world because we're killing a duck with a brain as big as a peanut and a Canada goose makes my hair stand up on the back of my neck and gives me goosebumps no pun intended but you've been killing them for 30 years so who was I going to be to come into the marketplace and say hey you got to listen to what I say and I'm the best duck hunter no there's there's 10 year old duck callers in Arkansas that would mop me up on a stage or in the flooded timber so my approach was going to be the locale, the personality, paying homage to our military and our first responders, bringing, mixing it with country music and bringing celebrities in that race cars and NASCAR, play baseball or football or hockey. We've had professional NBA basketball players in camp. We've had Zach Brown and Cody Jinks. And, I mean, you name it. I don't want to sit here and act like a name dropper, but hunting is the common denominator that brought all of these walks of life into my life when I noticed that mallard duck and he became so sufficient to me to the point to where I came up with this term that we merely exist in a duck's world and that's because they, they control every move I make but they also brought me to you they brought me to these celebrities these cooks in these different camps these business opportunities and it's the mallard duck that created all this it wasn't me I was a toilet pumper but when I saw those dad walls do what they did, and then I got to go to Arkansas in 2000 and compete at the Stuck Garden and hunt in the timber, and I saw Jim Ronquist and, and, and these guys call these ducks to these flooded timber canopies, I was addicted. So the mallard duck, the puddle duck, the Canada goose, all of those cold mornings, all of those trips to Canada, all of those, all of those brain-picking sessions with you on the phone or Fred Zink or whoever it was, I, I, I just I developed this love of, for the mallard duck and the Canada goose. And they are the ones that opened up all of these doors. I was smart enough, in my opinion, in a humble way and with humility to, to recognize it. But if it wasn't for the mallard duck, we wouldn't be on the phone right now. And if it wasn't for those dad walls that day, I'd still be chasing antelope Nevada. I don't think I've shot a rifle since then. Um, and, and, and that's kind of the story and the diversification process, George. Sorry if that was too long-winded. Oh, no, it's perfect, man. I was actually learning some stuff going through there. But it also for six banded-mounted uh, mallards on a pedestal that are kind of responsible for the banded uh, 
heritage, I would say, a little bit on that too as well. And I'll tell you what, one thing that uh, by listening to you, and I hope some of our listeners, especially young guys, when you get out there, man, it's tough. It's nothing easy comes free. And, and when I listened to Chad Belding talking about, you know, it wasn't easy. He's going to be the first one to tell you that. But he had something that um, that I believe that you got to have start out of the gate. If you want to really be good at something and stay hard at it and something that you're even when you fail, you're going to get back up and want to do it again. And that is something that you got to have passion for. So listening to you speak and then through your conversation, passion was always the number one uh, motivator and driver behind that. And, you know, you had times that uh, when the guy told you, hey, man, I'm going to have to back out. You know, you didn't say, oh, shoot, man, that sucks. And my life sucks. And I'm going to give up. No, you said, hey, you mind if I try to do it on my own? There's a lot to be learned with your driven, your discipline and, you know, your energy. It's just, it's one of the things, I guess, another thing, you be, when you're around Chad Belding, Chad has a lot of energy. And I don't know if it's because of monster energy drinks or energy bars, but dude, you should be selling it. <laughs> no, I, I don't, I don't, my, my, my family, you know, with my genetics, I don't drink, I've had Red Bulls. I prefer Red Bulls, George, but I, I, I always tell people that I'm just high on life. I've never done a drug in my life. I drink some whiskey once in a while, but I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never smoked a clove or a joint or anything that would ever adhere, you know, my mindset as far as drugs went. I always, people are always like, man, what are you on? How do you, how do you just <laughs> keep going? And, and I, and I truly feel, I truly feel that if you get to work like you and I do, that it's just a blessing. Like I, I wake up every morning and I pitch myself of like in a month from now, I'm going to be in South Texas chasing blue wing kill with Terry Denman, the founder and owner of Mojo. And then I leave there and go to upstate New York to, to film with a bunch of New York City firefighters for a 9/11 memorial hunt with the early season can of goose, and I'm like, I'm just a duck hunt. I'm just a, a kid from the desert, really, that grew up with a wanted to play Major League Baseball. But I think that 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 tenacity or that drive and that passion, you either have it or you don't. I don't think that you can learn the entrepreneurial spirit. I think you could go to business school and you can learn finance and you can learn how to communicate and whatever whatever kind of public speaking courses you take. You can learn about different parts of business. I'm not saying you can't. There's a lot of awesome business schools, but the education that I was getting by going to a meeting at Avery and seeing Tom Matthews conduct a meeting with an overseas company or with Realtree or, or when I would go to another type of business meeting with, with one of our sponsors, I was just learning on the road. I do have a degree and I feel educated and I feel like I learned how to talk or handwrite and do all that stuff. I'm telling you, man, like I, I learned from watching your marketing back in the day, your branding, your logos, your willingness to step out of the box and do things different that were being done in the calling market with your original company. I was attracted to that kind of stuff because it was different. It was cutting edge. It was edgy. It was rock and rollish. It was Motley Crue meets Guns N' Roses meets Megadeth. But you still have this country boy feel when you talk there. there there's something to be said about soaking all of that up through the years of my career and seeing that stuff and opening up a wildfowl or a Mac Prairie Wings catalog or Cabela's Waterfowl Edition catalog and seeing the Lynch name on there and how you were doing it, I was trying to do the same kind of stuff with rock and roll meets rap meets UFC meets affliction. My t-shirts in the very beginning were way different than anything out there because it was full frontal, in your face, UFC, rock and roll style I remember stuff. That. And you were doing kind of you were doing the same kind of thing with your with your business. And I think that I just learned a lot and I, I you know it, it one one thing that sucks in this business, George, is that there's me too companies and there's companies that 
that don't believe in the American dream as far as like, I didn't want to use anybody as a stepping stool. I didn't want to be that guy that went, oh man, I worked with Freddie for years and he taught me everything. Yeah, he did. I'm, I'm the first one to say it. He is a innovator. George Lynch is an innovator. Tom Matthews was an innovator. No matter what people say about Tom Matthews, the dude destroyed, he came in and destroyed business in this, and, and I mean that in a good term. He took it to the next level and how the waterfowl industry was with pro staffing and how he sponsored and took care and supported all of these calling contests. I'm not saying that I agreed with everything the man did, but one thing is for sure is that he had the entrepreneurial spirit and he was a risk taker and he's responsible for a lot of the success of a lot of the people in this industry, in my opinion. So I I don't want it ever to come across like we did this. I learned from people like you. I learned from people like Freddie and Tom and I didn't use them as a stepping stone. I didn't go into my friendship and my relationship with you or Freddie or anybody going, man, I'm going to learn every secret I can, and then I'm just going to bounce and, 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 and forget about these guys. No, I paid homage every day that I go onto a podcast or a seminar or whatever. I talk about you guys and what I learned and what Freddie and you and, and other people taught me because without that, I'm a nothing. People took chances on me daily of what Freddie put me on a DVD called Clucking Crazy George, where I did a shopping cart dance in the decoys, and I blew up. Like People were like, dude, he's dancing in the decoys. He's rapping. He's freestyle rapping. Me and Freddie would beatbox and do things different. Freddie took that chance on me. He could have very easily told Phil Huddall and the producers and the editors, don't put that in the DVD. Cut him out. This is the Fred Zink show. But he didn't. He let me be a part of it, and that prompted me to go further. And then he let me be on DU Waterdog, and they noticed something. They came out and filled with me out west. What was I supposed to do? Just stop and say, no, man, I'm not interested in being a professional hunter, quote unquote, even though I don't like that term, but that's what it became. We make our profession in the hunting business. I, I, I want to pay homage. I want to show my respect and my admiration for the, the, the old school and what, what we did back in the day, because here we are in 2022 and me and you are on a podcast together again talking about new business, legendary gears kicking butt and growing, and our businesses are thriving. And like you started this conversation and podcast with George Lynch, is like, we're still in it. It's hard to do this. You know that 2% of national brands make it past the incubation process? The, 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 you know, the, 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 not even the adolescence stage. I'm talking like the infancy stage. Less than 2% of national brands make it. Wow. Think about that. Yeah. We're still here. We're still here. Two, you're here three decades later. I'm here <laughs> 20 years after I started, and we're going in. Banded started, and really the, the, the clothing company started in 2011, so we're 11 years old with that, but Banded started in 2008, Banded Productions. So we're close to two decades into this deal, and we're still doing it. And I think that's awesome, and it's because I, I, I really, truly feel like we do things right, and we not. I'm not going to go out and – disrespect animals or not show compassion for the animals we pursue or respect for the resource and conservation. And we're just a speck in this deal, man. And I'm not, I just wanted to make sure that your listening audience had it clear that we got an opportunity and we ran with it, but by no means are we 100% responsible for, for what we're getting to live now. We learn from the best and and we just, we just try to keep building it. Well, you have two things. You you showed vision and you showed discipline and a lot of people might have, and I think that's what you said that separates the the 2% from the 98% is that, uh, you know, they stay, they stay with, they stay driven. And what I think is you've been blessed is because of your humbleness and, um, dude, you, you are talented. You're a great caller. You're a very great speaker. 
very knowledgeable. You have a great heart for, uh, like I said, with charity and everything else. Um, hopefully I get to, I haven't had the, the pleasure of sitting in a blind with you and, and talking about uh, old times and talking about new times, but hopefully that'll change here pretty soon. But you, uh, you know, I was down with uh, at Rogers. It had been a couple of weeks ago and Steve Kitchen comes up to me and, you know, I walk out and I'm deadbeat. I'm in, I'm in there and it's like every day I don't give up, don't take a lunch. I'm there trying to, it's business and you're trying to, you're trying to sell, you're trying to, you're trying to help people out. And when I walked out, you know, you had all the people there and he looked at me and he says, uh, hey, right here, guys, here's one of the OGs. And I said, Steve, you don't have to call me an old guy. I know I'm an old guy. He said, no, dude, one of the original guys, one of the original guys. And I'm kind of like, I looked at, you know, in my head thinking, man, there was people before me that paved the way that took it and helped me. You know, I'm glad that I've been blessed to be able to stay on that road as long as I have. And it's, um, you are right. I've worked some really crappy jobs. I've worked with the high stress jobs. I worked at Ford Motor Company, had 60 some people and you're there at six in the morning and every, every uh, 58 seconds, your cycle time, you're down, you know, $1,100. So every minute you basically you're losing money and you got beyond it, it's high pressure and, and and you're you're working and fighting with people and i remember sitting in my shop one day trying to do calls i had a bunch of stuff we had to go with cabela's and i'm thinking man the stress this is a bunch of crap and then i'd stop and think about those mornings going into ford motor company and my heart's up in my throat and i'm running like a chicken trying to find people to cover the line and then i started thinking wow this this really ain't as bad as I think it is. I just kind of reach in the refrigerator and grab something to drink and sit back and count my blessings. And that's what I like about you, Chad. You sit here and you work your ass off, but you don't take it as Chad Belding's credit. And that says a lot about your personality, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Like I, I just, I can't pay enough homage to for what I learned because I, I honestly had no idea what was out there until I started hitting the road. And, and you talk about a, a learning curve of going from Nevada to, you know, I played baseball at D1 at UNLV and I, I was a Nevada kid and I, and I had traveled some, don't get me wrong. I've, I've been to places, but not for hunting and uh, just seeing the world out there and what, what could be done and learning what was happening. Um, if, if you think about it though, we all had our, our, mentors we all have our inspiration and our influence and and i would and, and i tell everybody you know freddie's one of my big ones and i learned from guys like you and tommy and and tom matthews and the guys back in the day but they did too they had inspiration too i know Absolutely. i know that freddie was with tim grounds and that and jeff Boyles was with tim grounds and you guys all had careers you hunted with freddie and 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 jeff up in michigan and guided up there and cut your teeth and everybody saw different parts of things that were going on and the free enterprise mindset, the entrepreneurial spirit of America and business. Some people do it. Some people want to clock in nine to five noon. And I love that. We all have a place of a seat on the bus, but other people see an opportunity and some people run with it and, 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 and build it. And it becomes a reality. Other people try it and they give up because finances or time, or it just didn't click. But for sure, we all born with that opportunity to take something to the next level or build whatever we want. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, you, you, you know, you just dream it and it will come because no work like what you just said when you walked outside and Steve said that you're an original gangster and an OG, one of the original guys, um, that, that doesn't come from not having a work ethic. We're put on this earth to work. And if you think that 
that George couldn't have three pro staffers in that store cutting reads and tuning calls and, 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 and talking up legendary gear, you're wrong. You could. You and Diane could have sent some representation there. But you're over there showing Rogers that you appreciate the partnership, the friendship, the business, the revenue stream. You're not in there just going through the motions. You're sweating and working and not taking a lunch, and you're treating it like it's your livelihood. And that's, that's what it takes, dedication and vision and, and a nonstop, or, you know, like no procrastination, tenacity kind of attitude of like, I'm going to do this because if you don't, you're going to get left behind. You cannot go into business and think, oh, I'm going to build legendary gear and then just sit on it. you got to keep pushing and becoming innovative. Start a podcast. Come out with a new call. Your short recalls are some of the best. Your duck calls sound awesome. Design something new. Come out with a new material. might not be acrylic. You might be using something else. Like You're always being innovative. You're always being ahead of the curve, and, and that's why you're here You know, three decades later. And I think that people need to understand – that it's not that it's not about going onto social media and seeing George Lynch kill a 190-inch white tail with his wife Diane, or going to kill Canada geese in this part of Iowa. Yes, he gets to hunt awesome places. I get to hunt awesome places. But I want all of you out there watching or listening to this to be able to hunt these awesome places. That's why we're showcasing it. It's not about that we're better than anybody. We just got an opportunity. We ran with it, and I hope that people get some inspiration of like, I can do this. I can truly go out and become the next George Lynch and get to go hunt for a living and wake up every day and drink coffee on my deck and look at wild turkeys and hear geese honking instead of clocking into the Ford factory. I think that there's a lot to be said in that. And I think that people need to understand that, no, it doesn't happen overnight. No, it's not easy. You have to, you have, to have a tenacity and a work ethic. My dad always said, you're put on earth to work. And that's what we're here for because without a work ethic, what are we? That's and true. that's what you do. You have a work ethic. So when Steve said that, what he's trying to tell these young kids is get off the computers, get off the tablets, get off your phones, quit swiping, quit hitting like all the time, and look at life through a different lens and get out there and work. And don't live through George Lynch vicariously. If you want to do it, go do it. Do that's, what, that's what Steve was trying to tell those guys. This guy was OG because he didn't have social media. He didn't have, he had a message board called the refuge at one time, but you didn't have all of these, all of these people being able to critique you on a daily basis and say to what they wanted to at the drop of a button or a swipe or whatever they're doing on their Instagram or their Tic Tac or whatever. He's trying to tell these kids there's more to life out there than social media. That's why he's successful and still in the game. Yep. And I, you know, that's great advice of the um, entrepreneurship. Let me get, let's go for another direction. I mean, it's great advice. Um, the discipline and, and, you know, be yourself. That, that's how I take out it, which is great advice. But looking at uh, in your position, using this platform, this podcast right now, if you had a, a one word or in a sentence that you would like to say to the younger generation and people wanting to get involved, where you see hunting going and um, what is your best advice to the younger guys? Because you're right, a lot of it is what I see is driven through social media. What kind? How many birds can we put on a picture? We're we're we got to be caught that or be careful that we're not caught trying to put ourselves that it's all about the numbers. I mentioned that uh, you know when we're talking about non-toxic the the ammo out there and everybody's arguing which ammo is better and you know I've seen the conversations started going to you know how they could shoot them at 60 and 70 yards and and drop them. And one of the things that I put there, I said, whoa, this is a fine line, guys. We, you know, I, I, I like trying to hunt with the best thing I can hunt with. But I'm going to be honest with you, no matter what I'm hunting, 
uh, using isn't going to drive me or push me to want to shoot further out. I believe sky busting is sky busting and we need to critique ourselves and be honest, you know, what we're using. You still want to use it and, and be in fair game and fair play and, and we owe it to the critter that we're hunting with. And so, you know, my, my advice to them was, you know, if you're going to use this stuff and it makes you more effective at 30 yards or 40 yards and in and 30 yards and in, you kill, dead is dead. I mean, dead is, is dead is the way I look at it, but that's what you feel, go for it. But if it's something that you're using to drive to, to shoot 60 and 70 yards out, then we need to speak up and say, that's not quite what we're all about. So, you know, if you have this platform, I want you to give some advice to the young guys, what, what bothers you. Well, I'll put it in perspective of, um, well, first I'll answer your first question of, you know, what would I tell guys that want to do it is, and girls that want to do it. And I get asked the question a lot, and you do too, hey, I want to work in the industry. How do I get to, how do I get my foul life? Or how do I get my call company like George has? Here's the deal. I'll tell anybody, tell their blue in the face, George Lynch, that I'm an average hunter. Okay, I, 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 I go to places and I see people that have never been on TV. Never don't care about a camera that shun cameras when they see him come out of the cases. One that comes to mind specifically is Joel Wicker in Arkansas. The dude is a hammer on a cut down call and he can, he's just an unbelievable duck hunter. Dude mopped me up. Great dude. Taught me a lot, but don't concentrate so much on how good you are, how many ducks you kill, the pile pick. Concentrate on the things that could prompt you above somebody that might be just as good of a hunter or even better. And I think that that's communication, transparency, honesty, integrity, and being able to network, being able to shake hands. How do you become a successful water hunter? You go to all these farmers in the off season and you shake hands with them. You get involved in the local bake sale and the local basketball gym at the high school. And you go and say, Hey, can I help you on the farm today? Hey, I bought you a bottle of whiskey. Or I bought you a bunk cake that my wife cooked for it. Hey son, come on in, have some coffee, sit down. My wife will cook you some fried eggs. You like ham? You like bacon? What do you like? That's networking. That, that, that can open up doors for the season and how to become better at that. And then in business-wise, it's the same thing. Concentrate on being able to network and shake hands in the art of negotiation. You want to negotiate with a flock of mallards and Canada geese with a short reef, George Lynch, legendary gear call? Then learn how to negotiate in a boardroom across the, across the table from the CEO of Benelli or Cabela's or, or whatever it is. There's, you got to be able to represent yourself in a in a respectful way and of being able to conduct business and that you can't just get into this game and become good at it because you win the world duck i'm sorry to say john stevens does not have a successful call company without what he did with buying out bush and, and and rest in peace mr bush but rich and tone or any of these companies or any of these people that have won huge championships like you or freddie or tim they had more than just their talent on a call. They had to be able to, to, to talk and, and represent themselves and negotiate and to be able to go into a Cabela's meeting back in the day in Sydney, Nebraska, and say, hey, guys, this is Lynch Montfall. This is legendary. You know, this is this. This is that. And I'm George Lynch. I'm the face of it. I've shaked your hands. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be at your shows, your festivals. I'll be able to get you content and video. Bring your guys out. Bring your distributors and your store managers out to the field. Let's go on a hunt together. Okay, it's not about how good you are in the field, and I want you to be good, but more importantly than being good, it's about being ethical. And what, I, what drives me nuts going into the second part of your question, George, is I hate when I hear people say F a coyote. I'm not going to cuss on your podcast if I have. I'm sorry, but I hear it a lot, F a coyote. Out west, you hear it all the time by cattle ranchers. Hey, we moved in to these coyotes' land. Amen. I don't want to yeah. see I don't want to see a bunch of snow geese 
getting thrown out of a back of the truck like they're cornwood. I don't care if it's the conservation season. I don't care if there's no plug in your gun and that you're using electronic calls and there's no limit. I don't care. Those birds die to give us either a protein-enriched diet in a, in a meal we're, we're doing the, the, the tundra and the breeding grounds a favor, but they're still a bird. We have to have compassion for animals that we pursue. We're hunters, and we do. It is a privilege, but it is also a right to hunt and to feed our families these bounties of wild game. But when I see somebody with a social media video of a coyote in a snare trap and that they're talking smack to that coyote because they caught a coyote in a snare trap, or I see, I saw a picture today of all these ducks being thrown in the air. I'm like, why? Those ducks already went through hell. They just took a bunch of BBs at that 1,490 feet a second right through the freaking dome. And now you're going to disrespect them again and throw them out of your truck to throw them up in the air because you think it's going to make for a good picture on Instagram to get more likes? That's what's driving me nuts is that we've, we're losing our edge of being able to represent this community of hunters the way that our godfathers, our grandfathers, our, our, our trailblazers, our moms, our dads taught us. There's a right way to represent this culture of the American or the worldwide hunter. And we have to keep that in mind because like my good friend Randy Warren says, it's going to be one of us that messes up. And we mess up every day by, by, by showing that we don't really care about the animal, that it's about the pick or the likes or, or the value that comes out of it. Yes, do we make our living with hunting? Yes, but we want to pay homage to those animals just like we want to pay homage to the business owners that came before us by respecting them and having compassion for them. Because when I walk up on a tree and our seven hounds have a 180-pound Tom Mountain Lion Cougar in the state of Nevada treed, and we know how many mule deer that cat ate in the last 365 days. We know what they do to antelope and elk and deer. But I still have compassion for that cat. You know why? Because he's one of the greatest hunters in the world. Coyotes are one of the greatest hunters in the world. The African wild dog has the number one success rate in predatory hunting methods of killing game every time. Of 97% of the time, an African wild dog goes on a hunt, they succeed in killing something and eating it. A coyote has to eat three pounds of fresh meat a day during the winter to survive. But we build our houses out into all their property. They dig under our fences, take one of our dogs or our cats that we're irresponsible of keeping them safe, and then we want to say that it's the coyote's fault. No, it's not the coyote's fault. I understand that they need to be managed. And I, don't, I believe in predator management 100%. But what drives me nuts, George Lynch, is that we will literally sit there and go, we're going to kill every coyote. We, no, we're not. The coyotes have been here for, for centuries. Quit. Quit with that mentality. We grew into their land. We built over where they live. Now we have to do our job to show them compassion, manage them the right way, and never, ever disrespect them. I don't want to see any animal ever disrespected. So that would be my high horse soapbox talk is that, hey, before you hit post on that picture of you throwing a, or a video, of you throwing a bunch of dead geese out just because you had a heck of a day, just think about what those geese went through to be in the back of your truck. And I'm not sitting here trying to say that I'm, I'm a Bambi guy and that I'm, a, that I'm apologizing for us squeezing the trigger and killing an animal. I'm unapologetic about being a hunter. I believe in the kill. I believe in it. But I don't believe in the disrespect before or after in the means that it takes to kill an animal or to get that like on a picture afterwards. No, folks, I don't think I could have said it any better myself. I think he hit the nail on the head 100%. That is... Uh... It's been a gut-wrenching thing for me as well. It's, I, I tell people, you know, I, I kill because I hunt, but I don't hunt to kill. 
there's a big difference. And, and you hit one of the experience we had, you know, doing those shows with Cabela's and, and, and I took it and it was like you said, you'd, you'd uh, listen to what people had to say and, and try to learn from it and see what. But when we did these shows, I broke, broke it up in three categories. You had hunters, non-hunters and people without a, an opinion. And I learned this years ago. It's how you classify where, where to put your priorities in business. And so you try to you try to graph things. You group things up. And when you go in the store and you start, you got this lanyard on with all these bands, and and then you start running the calls. First thing you're going to have because usually the husband comes in with his wife and kids, so he's off with his buddy, and they're looking at whether decoys or they're looking at something else. Next thing you know, you got the the wife with the baby and the stroller and her kids hunting down that duck or that goose they hear in the store. And uh, as soon as they come around the corner, of course, they look at me and I always w- would put on the show for the kids and blow the calls, take my lanyard, put it on one of the child, you know, put it on one of the kids there. And, and the lady would look at my lanyard and she'd see these bands. And the first thing she'd ask, so, you know, what are those? And you explain to her, you know, it's what the DNR that they put on the, the legs of the ducks and geese and it helps them keep track of the migratory or the migration of the bird as they fly. When we shoot them, you, here's the number you report. And she looked at but she's looking at my lanyard. And she says, what, God love her, she doesn't realize that we've killed quite a few of more of these to get what we have here. And this is just a little residual effect of the few that we've happened to be lucky to get. But she looks at it and she says, what do you do with all them? And without hesitation, I would look up and point to the sky. I said, ma'am, this is protein from above. This is resource for my family and protein that we feed from God, God Almighty that uh, is natural. It's organic. You can't get any more organic than given by the by God. And her the response every time, not just once in a while, but the response. And and I would ask the question, Chad, if, if they hunted. No, I don't hunt. Are you against hunting? No, my husband hunts. I really don't give it any thought. You know, he just, it's you know, I'm not about the killing. I've heard that quite a few times. I don't like to watch hunting videos with they're all about the killing. And that's why we had comments before when we used the dog cam and had the dog in part of the videos and, and the video. A lot of people loved that. But what she said is that, you know what, if you eat it, I guess it's all right. And that's when this light bulb went out. And I said, hey, you know, if I want to make the piece of pie bigger and I want to get people who are, don't have an opinion on hunting, this is what we need to do. And, and, and Chad, you've done a phenomenal job. And I, I have to say that all your stuff, whether you've had clay in there and all, who else is in there, you've always got phenomenal recipes showing, a, you know, making it look like we were eating at a class A restaurant. Uh, with the respect and, and the energy and everything that you guys put behind that. And, you know, I want to salute you guys for being part of that. And that's what I'm proud to, to have you on this podcast and proud to call you as my friend because that's what it's about, folks. That's the, And he's truly, what he's telling you is the real Chad Belding. I, I've known him and that's truly how he, he feels and that's how he rolls and he'll die by that. And Chad, I appreciate you uh, spending a little bit of time off your busy schedule to be part with Diane and I and, and to recording of this great podcast. It's truly, I think, is going to be one of our best that we had. And I would love to have you back, and hopefully we can make it out there with you in December and doing a little hunting out there in Wyoming. Yeah, we need to talk about that. I can't wait for that. We need to uh, I'm, I come back on anytime, George. I appreciate everything you've done for the industry and um, your work ethic, your vision, what you and Diane are doing again um, with Legendary Gear. It's a great name, great calls, great logo. Um, I just I think that it, there's a lot to be said with what you mean to the industry and that you're that you're taking time out of your days to build content like this and to keep giving people, um, you know, 
a message board, a message system, a platform out there to learn from. And hopefully if people buy into it, which is a weird way to say, but if they believe in it and they really let some of the things that we talked about today sink in, then, then we did our job. And I think that if we continue to go down that route, then, then our lives will be fulfilled with a ton of great stories and blessings and memories and photos. And I'll end it by saying, George, a, a year and a half ago, about a year and three months ago, I committed to take in all 10,000 photos on my cell phone and printing them into four by six horizontal and vertical, whatever they were, and building photo albums like my mom, Faith Felding, taught me to do back in the 80s. Well, our house almost burnt down one day uh, of, a, of a wildfire, and the only thing my mom stuffed the trunk of the car with was <laughs> photo albums and all the frames off the wall. And you go into a lot of houses these days, and there's not even framed pictures on the wall. People are showing you all these pictures on their phone all the time. So I committed... And I, and I go and I just sat down yesterday because I had to find a picture of a canvas back for a, a newspaper a magazine article and I was started going through my, my photo albums and I'm like, man, I'm gonna tear up. Oh my God, do you remember that day? So I just want people to understand that it's about the legacy, it's about the story, the memories. We're all writing our own story. We're all on our own journey. And if, if you wanted to get in and do something like George is doing or what the foul life has become, it's a blessing. It's an unbelievable lifestyle. It's not easy by any means. So I give you kudos, George, for continuing to push the envelope and, and create great content like this. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best with your wife, Diane. Same way with Chad. And if people want to follow the Foul Life, follow Chad Belling. What's the best way to do it? Uh, we got the foullife.com, which is our main website. We got the providerlife.com, which is our cooking website. And then we have uh, all of our um, – Social media platforms are at the Foul Life TV. You can check us out right now with brand new episodes of season 14 of Benelli's The Foul Life on the Outdoor Channel. And then the previous 13 seasons are all available on the My Outdoor TV app, Mo TV. You can download the app. It's very affordable. And you got thousands of hours of content from Waddell to Nugent to Foul Life, whoever, Jim Shockey, they're all on there. Um, and those are the main ways. We're going to be at the Reeves event this coming weekend. And, uh, in Minnesota for, for Benelli. So if anybody's around and they hear this episode before then, hopefully we see a bunch of you out at the Reeds event in Minnesota this coming Saturday. I appreciate it, my friend. And I'll tell you what, I wish you the best luck. Stay safe and uh, look forward to it again, folks. Well, I hope you enjoyed this. We're going to wrap it up. The, this uh, bring it, We enjoy bringing it to you. And um, if you like this podcast, I ask you to please uh, subscribe to it. Go to legendarygearusa.com. LegendaryGearUSA.com. Game Call Company is legend by design. We appreciate it. We always remember, hunt safe, hunt smart, and may the good Lord be your guide. Well, I'll be out there, rain is shining, all a part of the great design. Bring it on, I can never get enough. Because that's what legends are made of.